Listeners, I know that you sometimes feel like your home is bursting with the boundless energy of your boys. Mine has been for a very long time. We want to tell you about Home Threads, where style meets the wild adventures of raising boys. At HomeThreads.com, you can find a collection of uh, furniture and home accessories designed to meet the needs of your growing boy family. They have everything from durable bunk beds to upscale gaming tables. You can turn your home into an attractive, durable playground, believe it or not. Uh, Janet and I both love their baking dishes. Solid, beautiful, functional. Anything you need for your home, you can likely find on homethreads.com, and we have a discount code for you. Go to homethreads.com slash onboys. You can get a code for 15% off your first order, because every leap, laugh, and loud moment deserves a space that embraces the chaos with style. Home Threads, love where you live. Welcome to On Boys Parenting Podcast, the podcast that explores and explains boy behavior. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison, founder of boysalive.com. Do you consider yourself a feminist? Some people have a really strong reaction to that word, and we are going to explore and define being a feminist, how do you raise a feminist son, what does it all mean? Our guest today is author Sonora Ja, and she has written the book, How to Raise a Feminist Son. Stay tuned after this message from our sponsor. This is going to be a deep and broad conversation. Did you know that 93% of kids don't eat enough fruits and vegetables? You may have one of those children like my niece who ate only macaroni and cheese for about six of her formative years. <laughs> Many kids kind of fixate on one particular food and you are tearing your hair out, dear listeners, trying to make sure that they have a balanced diet. I will say from the benefit of the years, my niece now is a grown woman and has two healthy kids. So that mac and cheese sustained her, but our kids need more nutrition than we are able to give them in their regular diet. Which is why so many of us look to vitamins to fill those gaps. And so many of us, myself included, have been dissatisfied with what we find on the shelves. Kaya Health, they have chewable vitamins for kids that are non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gluten-free, nut-free, all of that. And they fill in the gaps in modern children's diets in a chewable vitamin that kids love. My guys liked it and my guys uh, are kind of picky. This is a pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin. It was created by two dads that were tired of children's vitamins that actually cause more problems than they solve. So with these vitamins, with Haya Health, you know that you're getting zero sugar and zero gummy junk, and 
yet it tastes great and it's perfect for picky eaters. We have an exclusive offer for you. If you go to Haya Health and use the onboys code at checkout, you can get 50% off your first order. Go to Haya Health, H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com and enter on boys to get that 50% off. The discount will be applied at the checkout. So get full body nourishment so that your boys can grow into healthy adults. That's hyahealth.com slash on boys. And now on boys. I am at a point in my life when I see a son in every man. I see the boy begging to be raised right. A pliable, wide-eyed, sweet-faced boy. I heard a saying a long time ago that we love our sons and raise our daughters. What if we did both with all genders? Those are not my words, listeners. Those are the words of Sonora Ja. She is the author of a book that came out this spring, How to Raise a Feminist Son. She and I come from very different backgrounds on the one hand. She was raised in Mumbai, India, and I was raised in rural Wisconsin. Um, And even now, I am still in rural, very conservative Wisconsin, and she is in progressive Seattle. And yet, we are both women. As women, we have certainly experienced and felt sexism and its influence in our lives. And we both want to raise boys who respect and value all humans. Those of you that have been listening for a long time, you know that Janet and I care about that deeply. That is why we do our podcast. And that is why we are so thrilled to welcome Sonora Ja to On Boys today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer and Janet. This is so lovely. I can't wait to start talking to you. We need to start at the beginning because as you have certainly learned, I know you've been doing media tours for this book, um, the word feminist provokes a lot of emotions in a lot of people. And for me, it's almost become one of these words that is meaningless in that so many different people have their what they think it means. So how do you define feminist and how do you define a feminist son, a feminist boy? Oh, that's a wonderful question. And you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, the word feminist all over the world has taken on so many different meanings and so many different contexts. And um, But to me, I think the best definition came from Gloria Steinem. It's still a classic that feminism is the radical idea that women are people too. You know, so if we just stay with that and then from that start to expand, then what does that mean? What does that mean to have women be people too? Um, to me now it has come to mean, um, you know, an expansive sort of loving idea of humanity, of human beings all being worthy and then recognizing that some of us are not there. And that would mean an intersectional feminism. To me, all feminism has to be intersectional and intersectionality is a term that was introduced by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. um, And she has a great TED talk on that. And um, also years before that too, Audre Lorde was talking about how for women of color, especially, uh, and their kids, 
uh, feminism, white feminism may not necessarily be mm. as inclusive. So I think of feminism as this idea of recognizing that not all of us are there yet. And there are certain things that need changing, certain structures that need dismantling, certain individual behaviors that need uh, changing. So for, fem for fe and feminism for a boy growing into a man means recognizing those things and saying and committing to changing them. So it's not just a being a gentle, good human being, because a lot of people say, oh, why don't you just raise this person to be a good human being and then they will be empathetic and love everyone. No, because you have to first recognize that you are privileged over other people. You have to recognize that these things need changing so that you too can have a happy and equitable life because the people around you will be happy and you know that you did not get an unfair advantage. There's beauty and joy in knowing that, you know? So yeah. to me, that's what feminism for a boy would mean. And I love, I loved your book, by the way, read the whole thing. Uh, almost in one sitting. And I, I really appreciated how you started out with starting with the stories that we tell our children, the fairy tales, you know, the nursery rhymes, everything that they hear from the beginning, and how we as parents can recognize what's going on in the stories, and then bringing in another viewpoint. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Thank you for saying lovely things about my book and for loving the book. I um, I think stories are exactly where everything begins, you know, because it's about putting an imagination, giving an imagination to your child, sort of, uh, and that's something that they will live for with forever. If you nurture their imagination, they can imagine a whole new world into being that is such a powerful thing and that that imagination is nurtured through stories so whether it was nursery rhymes that I was uh, you know singing or chanting to my son or it was um, you know fairy tales etc all of these as I was saying them you know I was somewhat prepared from knowing also as a feminist young woman that a lot of these things are loaded with gender stereotypes and problematic tropes but also as I was saying them to my son kind of like twisting things around a little bit, like shifting a nursery rhyme and saying, you know, why was it, why was the queen not in the counting house count, counting all her money? Why does it have to be the king? So just, you know, just doing play <laughs> things like that, ruining the nursery rhymes, but also like making, you know, uh, uh, jokes and having fun, just sort of like tweaking that imagination a little bit, even with fairy tales. Like what if Cinderella wanted to get a job instead of find a prince what if she just wanted to travel the world and see the beautiful sides of the world and that was her uh, her dream right so these little things um they may sound like oh my god you're just ruining everything but i think you can tell them this, the the real story and then sort of play around with it and say let's imagine a new story let's imagine women at the center of a story and women wanting more things than just meeting a, a man let's imagine a young man that learns from a woman uh, once i started doing that it became a lot of fun and i encourage everyone to do that because it just takes you beyond the stories that have been handed down to us into the realm of imagination. And you're creating the stories for the next generation. Stories evolve all the time. So you're participating in that evolution of our thinking and our imagination. Exactly, yeah. 
I'm all about when you can kind of double dip and do more than one thing in your parenting because you guys know I have <laughs> I have raised four boys. I was a very busy person. But so the other great thing about this is the research about reading and language development tells us that these kind of interactive conversations, you know, we're feeding our children's verbal development, we're feeding the skills that they will use later in writing. Writing is not just about whether you sit there with the pencil and paper and, and write out the sentences that your teacher said. It's using your imagination. It's encouraging imagination. So you are building this bond with your son. You are encouraging his verbal and language development. You are helping him see the world in a way that he might not otherwise. This just ticks all the boxes. Win, 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 and win. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that's exactly how I felt. Yeah. You uh, started with those, you know, nursery rhymes and fairy tales. And as your son grew, you write in the book about how media became such an important part of your family. And you even described media sort of as another family member. And I have to read this, you guys, because for one, the writing here is just fabulous and beautiful, but it's a different viewpoint than we often hear about media too. You wrote, I have found that the media, in fact, can be one of those incredibly useful allies, like an electronic cool aunt or uncle, invite them in, include them in the family conversation, or let them babysit your kids. Let your kids confide in them and learn from them and then regroup with you to enjoy it or argue over it all together. That is such a radically different approach than what we commonly hear, especially when the conversation is about how to raise good boys, how to raise good men. Uh, so many of us, and Janet, I know you hear this with your clients, like we're very concerned about what our children encounter in the media the sexist stereotypes, the violence. So a default position for people is, nope, how do I block this for my son? You went the alternate route. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. We, we should be concerned, right? Any new person that we let into our kids' lives, right? It, it's in the same way. You're letting in another area of imagination. You're letting in mm. another, uh, another thing that has huge influence on their ideas and on their personality and etc. We should be concerned but the but we should also be concerned if we are censoring anything because you know what it's not going to work mm -hmm. we know that today we it's so unwieldy we don't even know what chat rooms or what different technology you know there's twitch there's uh, youtube uh, video game players uh, there's all kinds of this 4chan and 8chan and reddit and subreddit I mean, I, I can't even keep track of these things. And I am a media professor, you know, I'm a media <laughs> researcher. So looking at all of that, the, the, the landscape has totally changed. We are not just watching our kids in the playground and saying, oh yeah, I can see who they're playing with. Right. That's not a great kid. Don't play with that kid. We have no idea what's going on there. So the only thing we can do is do this thing called co-viewing or conversation, right? So co-viewing is this idea by media researchers that we watch things with our kids and talk with them, right? So in that same chapter, I talk about also how, you know, we, we just like you bring in a relative, a cool aunt or uncle, we bring in these media, but we also gossip over their heads. And, you know- I love that line too, Sonora. <laughs> right, so we also, you know, debrief after the relative has left or, you know, <laughs> 
after we switched off, we sort of debrief a little bit and say, okay, what was going on there? And, you know, so um, I think that's what I enjoyed doing with my kid. And then, of course, as he grew older, we were not watching the same shows, but he had the same lenses because I had given him this way of looking at, okay, what's going on with women? This is over hypersexualization of women. Or, you know, I wasn't necessarily using those terms when he was four or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, you know, just saying, oh my goodness, this makes me a little uncomfortable. Or, you know, why is she talking that way? Why is he uh, talking that way to her? Why is she always infantilized? And, you know, those kinds of little things. Uh, why does she have to dress that way when all the guys are wearing, you know, practical clothes, right? Right. Just those kinds of things gave him a sense of looking at these things and pointing those tropes out to me as well, right? Later, he would be like, oh my goodness, look at this game that I'm playing, Grand Theft Auto, in which there's all this violence that happens against women. And I remember saying to him, oh my God, I don't want you to play it. And he said, come on, like I told you about it. Now you're going to shut it down. I'm not going to tell you next time. That's exactly where I realized we can go horribly wrong, right? And I said, no, 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 keep playing it, but keep telling me what's going on. And I'm curious to see what choices you make in the game, right? Because you're able to choose. And he said, well, I'm not, I'm not making these choices to kill a prostitute. Like that's one of the choices you may have, right? And so once you've given them those lenses, they don't want to be misogynistic. They like, they, they sort of, you know, if, if everything else is going right, right? That they would not want to make awful choices because they've recognized that, yeah, this is not something in our family values, or this is not the kind of guy I want to be that, you know, that is misogynistic. And, or even while you're playing in a big group where there are women to abuse women, you know, or to dismiss women, etc. So I think that's all we can do with media. We can talk about it. We can give them a lens of how to look at it and then say, hey, bring back the stories to me. Tell me what you're doing on subreddit. What's the conversation that's going on, et cetera. I think this is a good, it's like, that's the big cloud above us, the media and, and these conversations then allow it to kind of filter down to everyday life. And yeah. those those examples you gave an example in your book that happened just, you know, along the sidewalk with your former stepdaughter and your son when he was about 14, I think. And and this these things that happen so fast as life is yeah. going by. And how do we catch those moments and be able to really uh, bring that into this is happening every day. This is happening in school. This is happening in your friendships and being able to speak to that in the moment, which can be really challenging, especially for, for young boys. Yes, absolutely. And, and I think once you start doing it, you know, it, it gets a little bit easier because you start establishing the, the love, the language, the lenses, right? That if you're going to start using those certain terms or a certain way of looking at life, then that just becomes second nature to you. So it's not like this hypervigilant thing. And especially like with moms and telling moms, like you got to do all this and now you got to raise a feminist son. So you got, you have to know all the language and you have to constantly be vigilant. You're right. Like it, things are happening as you're rushing about, you know, trying to cross the street or driving your kid to school and you have like a you know long to-do list and life happens in those moments. And so you have to respond in those moments. But as you start to set up those conversations, they get easier and easier to get into. It does. It takes away the intensity. And that is where I have found the media very helpful also, because often in those in-between moments, we are engaged with media in some way, shape or form. 
a song comes on the radio, right? Now that's an opportunity to say something about the lyrics or not some, you know, you don't always have to comment on everything or the kids are scrolling through their phones and they find something. Those little moments can accomplish a lot added up over time. And I want to reassure parents also, you don't have to seize every moment. You're not Mm -hmm. always going to know the right thing to say. Sometimes uh, it won't come to you until much later, or maybe you watch a show together, right? And you didn't comment at the time, but when you think about it, you're like, I should have said something. That girl was portrayed, you know, as kind of uh, intellectually inferior as not having as much. I should have said something. You can bring it up at the dinner table later. You can bring it up on the drive to school the next day. Yeah. Or just learn from it and do better next time. Right. Like when I talk about uh, uh, talking to him about sexuality. Right. I was unprepared. He was in the swimming pool and he sees this little girl running out of the locker room with her without her bathing suit on this toddler. And he screamed like, is that a vagina? I hope it's a word. And and I'm like, hush, hush, don't, don't, you know, be quiet. And I needn't have done that. I could just have said, yeah, you're right. Good observation. And, you know, (laughs) but, but here I am creating like the shame and silence around sexuality. And so it just makes him feel like, Ooh, what is this then? Why aren't we supposed to talk about this? And so, and later when he raised, you know, when he wanted to know more about sexuality, I was ready because I had realized like, Oh, wow. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have responded that way. I shouldn't have tried to shut him down or give him some sense of shame around women's bodies or his own body, you know? So yeah, it's uh, it doesn't have to happen all the time and you can pick and choose when you want to have those conversations. I hear from parents all the time how bath time can be such an ordeal. And yet bath time can be really fun. In fact, here in the very cold winter, we use bath time as an activity. Dabble and Dollop has got this dialed in because they have bath products that are not only natural, healthy, free of toxins, all the things we want for our kids, but they're fun. Jen, you said when your boys were young, they loved to make potions. My son, Tyler, had so much fun mixing things together, making potions, recipes. He would have loved Dabble and Dollop's Day at the Beach bath mixing set because it's a collection of soap scents and a little mixing thing and your kids can combine scents and make their own creations. It is exactly the kind of thing that can turn bath time into a fun, enjoyable, creative endeavor instead of just a fight. And I will say the bubbles have been bow tested in the bathtub and they last. They stay bubbles for a long time. Dabble and Dollop has everything from bath time shampoos, bubble baths, body washes, conditioners, lotions, bath bombs, bath toys and accessories. There's so many things to explore at Dabble and Dollop. Go to dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys to get 20% off your first order. That's dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys, 20% off for being an onboys listener. That's such a great example too, because even though you had done a lot of work already in your head and you knew intellectually, if anybody had asked you, there's nothing to be ashamed about with bodies, we're going to use the proper terms in that unexpected moment, (laughs) all the things that you were taught. Yeah. (laughs) That's what you reacted based on. So interesting. I want to shift to 
you were born and raised in India and your family of origin is in India and you made the choice to come to the United States and raise your son here. And I know there's a lot of our listeners around the globe that have cross-cultural currents, let's call them that. And it could be just, you know, a family dealing with how grandpa approaches the world, how grandma approaches the world. And, and so talk about how to like stay in your lane, hold your course with this, with the pressures, with the influence of family dynamics. That's a great question. You know, so as I discussed in the book, I have fraught relationships with different members of my family. And, um, you know, for me, for sure, there was this need to take my son away from the violence. Uh, My father was a violent man. There was domestic violence. My brother grew up to learn that violence and he, you know, would uh, would drain his violent blows on me, uh, beat me up all the time. And so I really thought that my son could end up growing up like to be like them and would you know that it was inevitable that he would be violent because this is what he had around him and so there was that you know for for sure I wanted to take him away from that but I also wanted there was also a lot of love in our family and my father was a feminist you know you wouldn't believe it because here he is doing these horrible things but he had some sort of feminist lenses I wouldn't say feminist if he's not doing you know if he's not basically treating my mother as a human being or his kids. Um, but but there were feminist uh, actions that he would do. He really wanted to, his daughters to grow up to have many choices and be career women, et cetera. And there was a lot of love as well. So I wanted to keep that love in my son's life, at least. I wanted him to have that. So I would say with families that, you know, whatever your dynamic may be, look for ways in which there can be healing with the kids, right? So it doesn't mean that you then put yourself again in harm's way or you're constantly trying to, you know, slowly dying inside while, you're, while your child is having a great time because that's not, that's not good for your child either to see the mother feeling less of herself or less of a human being in any family dynamic is not pleasant. So it could even be something as gentle as, okay, grandpa tells all these sexist jokes, right? Or he says, you know, um, all these terrible things or the roles are very clearly defined by gender between the grandparents and that they're always saying things like boys don't cry or Mm -hmm. help out in the kitchen or, you know, it could be subtle things like that. What we can do is again, debrief with our kids and say hey i i love grandpa but i don't like that these things that he says grandma is kind of old-fashioned so she tells me that i should be doing this or that but you know we had, we're going to make a better world we're going to do things differently and you can have the love but but beware that there's also some of these things that we are walking away from we're moving away into a different era so with my son he still has a great relationship with his grandparents and um, and he he loves them, but he's also able to stand up and you know stand for some things, and even stand up to my my mother, for instance, and be an ally toward me when she was putting me down and saying no, you know, please don't treat her like like this. And that was huge for me for him to be able to hold on to her love, but also be loving toward me in, in a difficult moment. I love that you shared the complexity of that because family is almost never simple. It's almost never all good. 
yeah. or all bad. And so you're right. It, it sounds crazy that your father in some ways was feminist and in others absolutely was not. And yet that is the complexity of who he is, what you have had to grapple with as a family. And I think that's going to resonate for a lot of listeners and a lot of our listeners also, you know, you raised your son as a single mother here in the United States. There are a lot of moms who are single, whether by choice or not, you know, sometimes it's because somebody else ducked out and you're doing the hard work, you're raising the child. And I want my child to have male influences in his life, but I'm also concerned about the male influences that are available to him because I don't want him to soak up misogyny. I don't want him to soak up uh, sexism. I don't, I'm a little leery. And in, in your book, you mentioned that it's kind of okay to to talk about these things, to talk about it both with the men that your son spends time with and then with your son. So it's okay to say, lay out, you know, say you're talking with a, a friend from the community, from church, uh, extended family member. Hey, uh, you know what? We don't use a boys don't cry with my son. Talk about that setting of boundaries and uh, decompressing, maybe gossiping after the, <laughs> with your son to help him uh, have context here. Yeah, I mean, a great example is, you know, my second husband. Um, he was a conservative American man. And of course, again, he was feminist in his own ways as he was raising his daughter, uh, my stepdaughter, uh, to be a feminist and, you know, would buy her a T-shirt that says a woman's place is in the White House. And, you know, but but the way he votes is also important, right? The way he looks on the world and looks at structures is important. So it's not just the people of color in his life or the women in his life. And so eventually our marriage broke down because of those intersections that he did not believe that there are structural things that need dismantling and this is a larger problem and how it shows up in our lives. My son still has a great relationship with his former stepfather. They go hiking together, they're buddies and um, and I have encouraged that. I've said, yes, go ahead and have that because, you know, of course, I want as many people in the world loving on my child as he can have, you know. So uh, and I never want him to feel that relationships should be a sort of fight or flight, which kind of, you know, something that I had to work on. Yeah. And so um, I think, too, that, you know, again, it's that kind of debriefing where he gets it and he's able to laugh about it. He says like, oh my God, I can't believe he thinks this way. Or, you know, I, I can't believe he says, uh, you know, things like that. And he doesn't believe that, you know, uh, there's rape culture in America, for instance, right? That it can get intense and they can have these conversations and walk away from those conversations, recognizing the limitations, you know, like he understands. He's even mentioned the, the, the toxic masculinity of his grandfather and his grand uncle and his father like that oh gosh they are so caught up in that patriarchal circle and he actually says that and he says it's it's actually humorous to see that sometimes that they're so steeped in that that they cannot see the big picture so he can and he is choosing his friends in from his generation that are like him and that they believe certain things but he's also able to see the fragilities of the men around us, you know, without having to reject them for those things. And then, and also without uh, being too susceptible to those influences, mm -hmm. because 
he's grown up now comfortable in who he is. And he has affirmations and validations of that from the young men and women and, and people of all genders that are in his friend circle. And this just speaks to, to the importance of intergenerational friendships, that we have older friends, mm-hmm. that we have younger friends, and, and we can see the, the change through the generations. I also was very touched in your book when you talked about Me Too culture and sharing your own experience around sexual assaults in your lifetime. And I, I wonder if our listeners wonder, I mean, the question often comes up is like, do I tell my kid I smoked pot when I was in high school? You know, and so there's like, how much do you tell your children about your own life experience? And you were very open with your son about what your life experiences were around sexual assault. Will you talk about that? Because I imagine that that's a question for our listeners of how much do you share and when do you share? your own personal stories with your children? Yeah, thank you for asking that question because I think this is a very, very important thing. And, you know, different families have to do it in different, at different times and, you know, depending on, on the dynamics in your family. But for me, it was important because I knew that this is something out there. He's going to grow up, he's going to be a young man and he's going to go to college. And I was learning about rape culture and date rape and things like that and, and consent and, thinking like, okay, we keep telling girls, you know, be careful, don't walk out at night, keep your keys ready, you know, keep pretend that you're talking on the phone when you're, when it's dark outside and, you know, don't walk alone to your car and, you know, all those things like don't wear short dresses, blah, blah, blah. We're constantly telling them about, talking to them about sex, right? We're talking to, this is, we're telling them about the dangers of that, of having a woman's body but we're not talking to men about being dangerous in a man's body or that the world is not going to uh, hold him accountable because she was dressed a certain way and that he's therefore going to get away with something almost as if he couldn't help himself. For me, it was important to expect better from my son, expect him to be more human and say, no, he's not an idiot. He's not, you know, completely incapable of controlling his urges. And I refuse to buy into that script. And for that, I had to talk to him and say, look, this was this happened to me and there were no consequences for men. So please understand that that's how the world is. And we need to change it because look at how much anguish it has caused your mother. And he got that. And of course, you know, I, I say in the book that I want people to do it better than I did it because I talked about it with a lot of anguish around it. And if you consult a therapist, you can talk about it. You know, you can sort of like take out some of that anguish. And because my, my son did feel, you know, he told me later that for a couple of years, he felt that the world was too dangerous for me and that we were not safe. And I'm, I didn't know that. And I, I regret that, you know, so that's one of my regrets. And I, I ask parents to do it differently or families to do it differently. But it is important to talk to them about these things, because what are we protecting them from? Why, if we are not protecting girls, right, we are, we are t- giving them this idea of the world being a dangerous place. Why aren't we telling boys that the world is a dangerous place? And the problem often is men and boys, that the world is a dangerous place for half of humanity because of men and boys. And, and that they need to learn to read the cues that women give them. They need to ask for consent. And that consent can be a sexy thing. You're not taking, taking away from 
the fun, but you can make it playful and sexy and, and bring it into conversation. And so I definitely was having those conversations with my son and I encourage everyone to do it because otherwise we just keep recreating the Harvey Weinsteins and you know the even the Aziz Ansaris who say, oh, I didn't even know that she wasn't enjoying it. You, know? mm-hmm. you wrote in the book about the need to train, and I'm going to quote here, men to read women the way women have been trained to read men. It sounds like such a simple sentence, and yet in a few words, it encapsulates something that I think all of our listeners can relate to. It's so unconscious in our raising, in our growing up, in our training, we do learn those things. And we don't necessarily even think about teaching them. And yet, as a woman, if you reflect on that and you think about all the things that you have been taught to watch for, that kind of helps you develop a lens to realize, okay, I can flip that as a, as a woman I know actually quite a lot about female cues because I have lived it. I have had it with, you know, seen it with my friends. As a woman, I can help explain that to my son and that can change so many things. Yeah, it can change the world, you know? Yes. Change the world because we no longer think that, oh, you know, I have not... I've not grown up to expect men to apologize. I have not grown up to uh, expect consequences for men. There's so many things where I think about, you know, like, wow, I didn't even expect an apology. I didn't didn't even expect that this person would be held accountable. And why is that? I don't I don't get it because yeah. you know, women will be held accountable for everything. We'll be accountable held accountable for drinking as if the, someone could not help but rape us because we were drunk how bizarre it is and it takes us because we're so steeped in it it takes us a while to stop thinking that way right we are so quick to judge even now I will you know think about all the things and say well you know I don't know maybe she could have avoided that and I have to catch myself and say stop stop right here the only thing that could have been avoided is that the man would not rape or the boy would not rape that's the only thing it takes him to rape so why not talk to them and say, you're going to do better. We're not, we're not telling them, oh, you're this terrible thing. You must live with this guilt and this live with this fear all your life. But you are a grown person with agency, dude. You can do better. You don't have to rape, you know, mm-hmm. uh, help someone get to safety. So, yes. you know, Chanel Miller has this uh, beautiful book called Know My Name. She's mm-hmm. a young woman um, who was raped by that Stanford rapist, Brock Turner. And she talks about how these two um, young men from Sweden were the ones that saw the rape in progress and stopped the guy. And it makes me think about why it took two guys from Sweden to see it and mm-hmm. recognize what was going on, that, they could, that she could not have given consent because she was unconscious. And think of all the frat parties and think of all the parties that we have where these things happen, where people don't see that as rape. Mm-hmm. So, but these guys have been taught to talk about consent and to recognize consent or not, the lack of consent. It's those stories that have been a nightmare for me as a mother of four sons, as a mother of four sons who are growing up in this culture that feeds them a lot of unhealthy messages, even today, where so often their approval hinges on the approval of other males who feel like their status is dependent on upholding all of these uh, uh, markers of masculinity that are not helpful. I feel this great desire, as I know our listeners do, to do better, to raise a better son, to raise a better boy. And so often we 
parents, mothers especially, freak out then at any point along the way when we see our son do anything other than the best behavior because we are petrified he is going to be Harvey Weinstein. He is going to be Brock Turner or the guys who walked past Brock Turner. And we don't want that. And I think that's why I so loved chapter 10 in your book. Um, it's titled, What If He Slips Up? And it, you're basically saying, you know what? This is all a process. It's not like I do this and my son is a feminist and he makes all great choices from here on out. No. <laughs> it's a process. You wrote about this incident, Janet, you referred to it before uh, when your son was about 14 and uh, your former stepdaughter had shared something and he kind of, you know, belittled her and uh, you reprimanded him. And frankly, it went about as well as, you know, could be expected because he was 14 at the time. <laughs> and then you wrote, and I love this, trying to insert the notion of error or wrongness of failure into the cocksureness demanded from young men is like asking a bull to sit down at a tea party after waving a red cape in the face. <laughs> Mom's listening. I know you know exactly what she is talking about. 14-year-old boys are unformed creatures. And we have to remember that. We have to simultaneously hold them accountable while giving them grace and space to grow and hold on to the fact that you got through that. Your son got through that. He is now a wonderful, compassionate, feminist, 20 something year old man. Yes. And I'm glad that you're raising this thing of, uh, you know, having that compassion toward them too, right? Just giving them the grace because you know, it does come like this idea of feminism. I'm not talking about it only like, okay, my son is just going to be this person, this warrior for the sake of women, uh, which of course he is, but he's all, it's also good for him. And that's mm -hmm. why when we hold them in the grace, it's because this is a loving act to give him the tools that feminism has given us, which dismantle toxic masculinity. First of all, call it out, right? And say, for instance, white male supremacy in America and in several parts of the world. In my part of the world, it's Brahminical, it's upper caste um, male supremacy, uh, that these things are problems and they've been problems for a lot of people, including white men or Brahmin women, because they're not going to get their piece of the pie unless these, you know, unless all of us have a piece of the pie. You know, so recognizing that these things have, have also hurt men because half of humanity and uh, uh, more, you know, because there's uh, people of other races and castes, etc. that if they're not going to be happy, if the people around you are not fulfilled and happy, you're not going to be happy. If you don't have the tools of feeling human and all the spectrum of human emotions available for you to express like crying or sadness or love or vulnerability, or, or, you know, telling someone that I have, I'm fear, I, I fear uh, failure, that I'm afraid that I'm going to drop the ball on this, or I'm not going to be a good leader, right? Men are not allowed to say these things, right? And so they're suppressing it and suppressing it. And let's talk about school shootings, for instance, or mass shootings, mm -hmm. where a 21 year old man in Atlanta will go shoot up all these women because one, he was having a bad day, two, because he felt that these women were tempting them with sex. I mean, 
that's a whole lot of stuff gone horribly wrong because we don't let our voice, and I'm not saying those were the only reasons, there was a lot going on there, but but there are some of these reasons where we're not let, teaching them how to have a bad day. You know, what do you and I do when we have a bad day? We call a friend, we take the day off and we eat ice cream or, you know, we cry or, you know. So there are different ways of having a bad day that we not, not all of us are making the choice to go shoot up people. So we have to give our boys these tools because we find researchers are finding that when men are able to express themselves, there are, there's less alcoholism, there's less violence, there's less depression and anxiety and all of these things. So why not give them these tools? You know, why not say, yeah, you can be human in all these different ways. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be less of a man. The other thing that is happening too, is that a lot of young men are walking away from toxic male friends and saying, dude, I don't like this. You're not going to be part of my group. You know, my friend, my son and his friends don't like to hang out with those friends who are falling into those, those old patterns of uh, masculinity. So if we think like, oh, my, my child is going to be left out or he won't have any friends or he's going to be teased, etc. That's not happening. The other one more thing I have to say, because this is such a vast topic. Recently, I had this I posted this uh, on social media, this hate mail that I got from a man saying, oh, you're going to raise a feminist son. Uh, sounds like you're going to raise a gay son. A former student of mine who's gay wrote and said, we should all be so lucky as to raise gay sons. I thought that was so perfect. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. My drop, the drop, like, okay, yeah, so what's so wrong, even if your son is gay? When my son saw that, he laughed and he and his friends were making jokes back and forth when they saw that, that clip because they said, oh my God, this guy is suffering. You know, this guy yeah. is so they angry. They can see it. We can see it. And they were laughing about it. They were, my son was not feeling like, oh, my God, what a, you know, what an insulting thing to say. Or, you know, he was laughing and he was saying this guy is either suffering or he's just a total crazy person mm-hmm. because he talks like that now anymore. And I, I think that's where it's important that it's not just, you know, it's the cool thing now. You know, we don't want it to be cool in a way that's that's performative feminism. Or right. Mm-hmm. But, but the cool kids are now feminists. So, yeah. Yeah. I love too, Sonora, that you included a chapter entitled, What If I Slip Up? And this is the part where we have to give ourselves grace. We've been talking about that as a thread throughout this conversation, but you know, you were you were just right out there like, number one, I should have done this. Number two, I wish I'd done that. And I think that that's such a valuable place and so so vulnerable of a place for you to include of like, I didn't get it all right. I'm still working on it. It's a work in progress. And I think that that is such an opening for, for your readers and our listeners that, you know, Hey, you're going to mess up and here's how I messed up. So thank you for being so honest (laughs) and including that part. (laughs) You're welcome. I feel you know, we all have so many regrets. And I, I do say at the end of that chapter that make a list of your regrets, forgive yourself for each one. And, you know, I'm working on that. And I'm, I'm definitely working on my son being a feminist. It's a work in progress, as Jennifer was saying earlier, too. You know, he still mansplains. And I still, <laughs> so I didn't quite succeed with that one. And I, I, I call him on it all the time. And then, you know, so he's working on it, too. But yeah, we're not going to get all of it right. I know that uh, your book is for sale all over. I know that you have done a lot of media for the book. Um, 
as things are opening up, are you doing any tours or talks that we should let our listeners know about? Then next year, I plan to have a book tour early spring. What is the best way for listeners to find you online and learn about your upcoming events if they're interested in doing so? Yeah, my website is www.sonorajha.com. So my first name, last name.com. And I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. You can find me under my name. And uh, I'm also on Facebook and happy to connect with readers. We will put all of this in the show notes. And I want to thank you for sharing such honesty and frank conversation with us. And may we all join you in making this world a better place for our boys, for our girls, for all humans, so that people don't have to be held back by gender stereotypes and gender limitations. Thank you so much. This was such a lovely conversation. Thank you, Thank you, Sonora. Thanks for joining us for On Boys. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with a friend. And don't forget, if you're looking to ramp up your child's nutrition, check out hayahealth.com slash onboys for vitamins that are healthy and nutritious.